Okay, hi everyone, my name is PK, and I've got with me here actually a very special guest. His name's John Manchomelli. He's, I don't think he actually needs a, 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 an introduction, but we're going to be talking about how to maximize your borrowing capacity. I know so many of you, you know, you may already have one property, two properties, three properties. You're thinking, how am I going to build a portfolio? How am I actually going to get the requisite number of properties so I can achieve that passive income? I'm being stopped by the banks again and again and again. Our friend here, John, who's actually a client of mine as well, we work very closely together, I'm very experienced in the industry. He's going to be sharing with you some golden nuggets. So if you don't, if you haven't heard of him, like you're, um, you know, you're in for a treat. So he's been a mortgage broker for almost 20 years. He's been on Sky News. He's, you know, an experienced property investor himself, you know, for about 20 years, he's been investing in property. Um, a couple of personal things, which by the way, you know, I like to introduce people for who they are, not um, what they do. So, you know, John is a massive Alfa Romeo fan. I'm a massive Alfa Romeo fan. <laughs> He's actually half Italian. I'm not, but I feel that Indians and Italians have some sort of vibe. You know, they they love food. They're very sweaty people. They're very hairy people. They're very passionate people. <laughs> um, so yeah. like, you know, there, there's some sort of vibe there. Um, you know, so we, we may or may not talk about cars, but really in this video, I wanna deep dive with John's permission on how we can help you guys actually get some huge gold nuggets to get that next property, not be capped out by the banks. And John has some amazing connections with a plethora of banks, tier one, tier two, tier three across Australia. So he'll be sharing with you some, some things that you probably don't know. Do you want to achieve wealth and passive income through property investing? PK Gupta, host of Oz Property Investment Mastery, will help you achieve passive income by buying top 5% growth and positive cash flow property and building a portfolio using data without you wasting months of time doing research, spending weekends at inspections, or dropping ten dollars to $20,000 on buyer's agents each time. So if you are confused and overwhelmed by the amount of contradictory information available online and don't know where to start, then this show is for you. John, did I don't know if that intro did justice to you, but do you want to sort of maybe give your background a little bit more or, or anything else that I missed? Oh, you did a you did a great job, PK. Thank you. Um, thank you very much. I'm a bit humbled to be honest, <laughs> how you've done it. So uh, yeah, again, um, I also wanted to say thank you for giving me getting me on your podcast. I really appreciate the opportunity to share um, a lot of the wisdom. And it's mainly from the mistakes that I've made over the years as an investor. I think that's the wisdom that I bring, but we're going to talk a bit more about what I do professionally. I think uh, when it comes to loan serviceability, it's a combination of making sure you find the right broker. And then there are some bits and pieces that you can do to improve your serviceability. So if that's all right, PK, can we have a bit of a blend of both? Yeah. I mean, I mean, let's do it. Just when we were chatting off offline as well you know i was saying to john can we just really deep dive on how to maximize serviceability and he said actually the choice of finding the right broker is kind of you know not decoupled it's you know joint at the hip with that answer so yeah please john go go ahead and i i want everyone who's watching listening to really connect with this video or this episode because it's going to be a little bit different there's actually going to be a lot that you can take out of it yeah Thank you. Thanks, PK. So when, when it comes to deciding on the mortgage broker that you want to work with, uh, a lot of it um, is going to influence your, your borrowing capacity in the years to come. And I, and I say that because 
experience is king. Um, you know, when they, uh, the experienced broker um, can anticipate changes, um, will understand loan time. So at, the, at, at this time of the recording, one of the issues is how much time it's taking to get a loan through. And it may mean the difference between you securing a property or not. But uh, experience is fundamental. Um, and at this stage in the industry, uh, about 50% of mortgage brokers who have around the 18, 18 month mark are leaving the industry. So there's a fair bit of uh, knowledge that gets lost if you decided to work with someone that's not as experienced. But experience is king. And it's because an experienced broker starts developing a relationship with lenders. And um, what happens <clears throat> is your submission when it gets put up, if it's recognised by the lenders, they start to look at that as going, John's been around a while or Bob's been around a while. And if he thinks it's a deal, we better take this seriously. The other thing too is uh, a mortgage broker who specialises in investing is really important. Just like a, uh, a solicitor may specialise in migration services or criminal law and so forth, what you'll find is mortgage brokers are, are generalists. So they'll do... Uh, a first home buyer call over here and then they'll do an upgrader and owner occupier upgrader over here and then they'll do a car loan and, and to some degree I do that as well but when you get 30 emails a day from the 30 lenders that you're accredited with it's impossible to retain everything so if you can find a broker who specializes in investing when they get that email in saying that they've just reduced the bank assessment rate for investment can you see how all of a sudden that becomes very pertinent for your fifth and sixth acquisition. So finding a broker that can specialize in investment property is really good because they'll understand the credit policies uh, around investing and how to get you to that next level, right? Um, and then also internal and external resources. A good broker should have internal staff. Um, I remember the days when I was brokering and it was only six hours, six to eight hours to get a loan from application to settlement. It's now 26 hours. And so it's important. So just to connect to that point. So you're saying that for someone, if I come to you and I want a, a loan, by the time we had that conversation to the point of settlement, settlement or settling that property, you've done 24 hours of work for me? Yeah. Because the, it's insane, right? The Royal Commission has made it so much more harder, rightly or wrongly. Uh, the banks now need a broker to go through line by line your expenses. Um, you know, COVID meant that a lot of the offshore teams had to move back on onshore. So it's just um, a lot harder. And so the days of a broker working on their own yeah. uh, is over. I mean, they, stick, they can still try, but they're working very hard. And the way you can tell that is if your broker picks up the phone when you call or just calls you back within an hour, okay? Um, and, and so having internal and external resources are really good. So the external resources could be the referral partners to trade people to renovate, um, solicitors, you know, financial planners who do risk insurance. I, I never refer my clients to a financial planner for property advice, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, but risk insurance should be part of your 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 plan. Yeah. So um, yeah. So that's just a brief touching on why you should find a broker who specialises in investment property. All right. Yeah. Um, so moving on to maximising serviceability, uh, I've got quite a bit uh, that I can talk about. 
um, got 11 points. So I've got some notes here. If I'm looking down, it's only because I'm looking at some yeah. notes. So one of the things you can do, guys, is uh, instead of looking at the interest rate you're paying, ask your broker to find out what's the bank assessment rate. All right. So, for example, um, at the time of recording this, ING uh, uh, have got really, really good rates and very, very quick turnarounds. But at the moment, they're terrible <laughs> for investors trying to develop a property portfolio. All right. So the way they, con they uh, conduct living expenses analysis in relation to income and then their higher rate assessment rate, it's just not conducive to investment. I'll help you with one or two, but beyond that, it may not be the lender for you. Okay. So assessment rates are a really good one. Yeah. Uh, and your broker can help you understand that. All right. Uh, the obvious ones that you may have heard of is reduce your credit card limit. Okay. Even though you may not owe anything on that $30,000 credit card limit, uh, the bank will take 3% of the limit and take it away from your after-tax salary to help to, to fund a hypothetically maxed out credit card. Yeah. Okay. So if you've got some credit cards and you're not using them, a suggestion is just get rid of them or lower them down to a limit that can get you across the line. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and which extends to buy now, pay later. Uh, the recent that recent phenomenon, just yeah. get rid of them if you can. They, they are still seen as a liability, even though you may not be using them. So like if people are using Afterpay or ZipPay, you know, all of that is actually tracked. All of that is actually going to be penalizing you in terms of your loan. That's right. Yeah, because the bank just assumes that you're going to max it. You're right. going to use it. It's going to be some sort of debt commitment. Right, yeah. okay. Um, and actually that's a, that really, that really um, brings me on to the next point that I, I haven't got in my notes here. Um, we're, we're entering into a new area of positive credit reporting. So this is gonna be exciting because if you have shown that you've got good credit, there will be an opportunity down the track and it's starting to happen now where you'll get offered better rates and better serviceability and so forth. All right, so if you do have an interest in this space, just keep an eye out on positive credit reporting because that will make a difference for us, for us investors. Yeah. All right, now your credit history, guys. Make sure you go to mycreditfile.com.au and clean your credit history. Before you even go to a bank, just make sure there's anything that is on there, you just remove it. All right, it's, uh, I think, you, I can't remember what the fee is if you want your file straight away, but it's only three or four days for you to get it um, for free. Mm -hmm. So mycreditfile.com.au, I have no affiliation with them. But it's just a way for you to check to make sure that you haven't got any issues that the banks will see. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, I, I have seen some ID fraud um, around uh, telephone bills. Uh, we applied for loans um, and the bank said, hey, you know, you've got an outstanding Optus bill of $1,000. And my clients are like, what are you talking about? So it's a really good idea to do that. And your broker can do that if you give them permission to have a look at your, uh, your report. Okay. It's a really good one. Um, now, it goes without saying, if you can roll your debts into one at a lower rate. So if you've got a car loan and a personal loan and some other loan, um, and if you've got equity, then a really good idea is to set up a second loan, you know, where you're being charged 3% interest at this time of recording, um, instead of, you know, 10, 10% on that personal loan. Yeah. Now, it's a really good way to consolidate the credit card, but if you want to make sure that it's a second loan, it's not in your actual home loan so that you pay it down. You don't roll it out for 30 years as well. Um, is this good PK? Am I, am this I is, no, this is amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm sure 
I mean, I have conversations with investors every single day and all these things that you're mentioning, you know, people have personal loans, people have credit card loans, people use Afterpay, people go to the, you know, the local mortgage broker and ask them what is the cheapest interest rate that they can get. What you're saying is like all the opposite to all that sort of stuff. So it, it's interesting. Of course, we can't deep dive into everything, but you know, if anyone's watching and they do want a deep dive of any of these 11 points that John is making, you know, please let, you know, drop a comment, mention that point in the comments below, and we'll be sure to expand upon it in a future video. But this is gold, John, please, please carry on. Okay, cool. Uh, thank you. Um, uh, living expenses is something that the banks are really scrutinizing now. And I've got some classic stories, mate. You, you wouldn't believe the stuff I get asked by credit assessors. It's, it's come back a little bit now, but just after the Royal Commission, I had, I had one bank ring me and say, how many kebabs is this guy having? <laughs> <laughs> you for real? Um, the other Late one was... Late night, 3 a.m. kebabs. <laughs> I, I just, yeah. <laughs> um, the other one was how much dog food? So they're going to this level of detail. They're actually checking the, the bank statements. It's not like a cursory look. They're actually investigating everything. It yeah. never used to be like that, right? Yeah, it never used to be like that. Um, just on Friday, uh, we're recording on a Monday, um, uh, uh, this bank was asking why her declared food expenses was at X amount, and yet on her bank statements, it was substantially higher. And so they, they said, no, we're not approving it until you explain that. And so the explanation came back was she's living with a flatmate and she bought all the groceries and the flatmate pays her back. So <laughs> I can't begin to tell you, just rein in the living expenses. Uh, three to six months before you actually think about making that acquisition. Uh, if you know there are some things that you don't need, then mm -hmm. just get rid of it. So it's not on your bank statements because if it's in your bank statements, they will question it 100%. So the takeaway is to reduce the living expenses. Of course, you should reduce them as far as possible into going concern, but most importantly, three months before applying for a loan. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, ideally six, um, because the software I send out will bring out a six-month statement Yeah. and we have to go through it. All right, so yeah, it just it's common sense anyway to rein in expenses. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, the fifth one that I've got is the type of loan. Now, there are some lenders where if you fix your loan, they will actually use the fixed repayment. So may, a lot of your viewers may not know that the banks will put a buffer above what you're paying if it's a variable rate loan. Yes. So there may be consensus at this time of recording to take advantage of the delta and fix some of the loan because it's about a half a percent difference between fixed and, and, uh, and variable. Yeah. So sometimes that could be the difference of getting that extra property because you're fixing a loan and the bank goes, yep, bang, it's all. If you've got five investment properties and, you know, you're paying 3% interest and it's now 2.5% and you fixed all of them for a yeah. year, <laughs> it might be enough to get you across the line. So, so what, just so, to un so I understand this, John, so obviously fixed loans, you know, point of recording are, are most often cheaper than, than the variable. Um, but what you're saying is that they're not going to add that, you know, a 2% buffer on top of a fixed loan. So they're actually going to lend you so much more money if you just wholesale fix all your loans. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so it's not every lender. Okay. So it, again, it, it's there's so many lenders out there that what they do is they go to market with their own little niches and credit policies. And this is where it harks back to finding a broker who specializes in what you're doing. 
Yeah. So there are lenders who will go, yeah, we'll just take the fixed repayment amounts because we know it's not going to change. So and when it comes to finding like a good broker, John, I, I just I just really want to understand this because, you know, I've got you here. Why is not everyone, not every broker just like you? You know, why wouldn't, why do some brokers not open themselves up to all lenders? Like, it just seems logical for me that if there's so many lenders and they have all these different policies, you know, a broker would try to understand all of them and, and give their client the best service. Why is it that some brokers only focus on five lenders or 10? Like, this is a bit of an ignorant question. You know, what's your view on that? I, I don't know, PK. I, I don't know. I just, I think just from experience, I know it's too hard to be a jack of all trades. Right. Uh, and everyone does try and do that because they're so desperate for work. Hmm. But a, a broker is juggling so much. They're out there trying to prospect for work. They've got work in the books already and they've got to maintain that. There's just so much communication that goes on anyway. One file might mean uh, an email to an assessor, to a solicitor, to a real estate agent, back to the client. That's just four. And if you've got 10, that's 40 emails that's already gone out. So, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a massive juggle. Um, hence the reason I'm saying if you, if you, find a, if you want to um, do development finance, there are brokers that are much better than me that do development finance. Sure. I can do it, but I'm not the best at it. There are brokers out there that are perfect for first homeowners. Yeah. Okay. And so it, just like anything in life, if you find um, a doctor that specializes in, in something, they're obviously going to get very good at it. Sure. Got it. I'm not sure if I've answered your question. <laughs> no, it makes sense. So you find someone that specializes in property investing, not, not a jack of all trades, because they're actually going to know what they're, they're doing. I think that's my takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. All right, some other tidbits um, that we could touch on. Uh, if you've got genuine savings, the banks like to see it sitting there for three months, okay? And uh, the good news is even if you borrowed that money, so long as it's sitting there, there are some lenders who will actually take that as genuine savings. Okay. All right, so if it's a gift or if you actually take a personal loan, so long as it just sits there for three months, that's an ideal period of time. Okay. So it could be equity from another house that's that's just there in the offset account as well. Would that qualify? Just a personal loan? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that too, obviously, but even a personal loan. So if you're really struggling to get started and you've got an amazing job that's paying you good money, but you, you've just been paying all this rent and it's finding, you're finding it really hard to save because of your lifestyle um, or you're just paying a lot of rent, there are lenders that will take that personal loan of $30,000. And so long as you can service the personal loan and the, and the investment loan, they will look at that. Interesting. Okay. All right. Um, all right. Now, the other one is raise your income levels. I know it sounds obvious, <laughs> but thank um, you. I've heard of brokers that um, encourage their clients to move in with parents yeah. uh, and rent out their owner occupied premises on paper. So um, there's a suggestion where I've seen that worked work quite well. Sure. Okay. So uh, that's one way to increase your, your income. <laughs> um, the other one is lenders that take 80% of your rental income and not just 60%. Mm -hmm. So you think that'd be obvious, um, but that's another way to increase your income by just focusing on those lenders who will say, you know what, we'll take more of the actual rental income rather than the lower amount. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, I mean, the thing is that there's so many layers, right? Before you were saying 
that if you switch to a fixed um, interest loan, then they're not going to put that 2% buffer for serviceability calculators. And then there's a set of lenders that do that. And then a, a set of lenders which do what you've just said now. So that's the whole idea of getting a broker because they can then see, it's like Tetris. You're trying to find a, a lender that kind of fits the, the bill in all these layers. You can't do this yourself. So, I mean, that's just a plug for mortgage brokers in general, but it's kind of really coming to life as you're, as you're talking. Yeah, thanks, PK. It's, it's a moving environment all the time. So I'm sure when this comes out in the future, one of these lenders I'm talking about has changed their policy because they do, they change, they have risk mitigation teams. Yeah. Um, and sometimes they're flush with money and they want to push money out hard and their risk teams are saying, let's go after investors now. And then there might be something that comes up where the risk team comes out and says, let's stop lending to investors. Yeah. And so it's fascinating. It's, it's really fascinating. Um, the other one I wanted to mention that we, we talked about off air was the common debt reducer loans. So common debt reducer loans, what are they? Now, in a normal environment, when you take out a loan, uh, 100% of the debt is attributed to you, even though you may have taken that out with a partner, whether it be your husband or wife or just with a friend, okay? And they'll only take 50% of the income. So you've got all the debt associated with your partner, but uh, sometimes it's as low as 50% of the income. Yeah. Okay. So there are these wonderful uh, credit policies called common debt reducer loans, where if your partner can supply pay slips to prove that they can take, they can repay their portion of the loan, then the entire debt is no longer applied to you anymore. Right. Okay. So they're called common debt reducer loans. So that might be the one thing that stops you um, from getting that additional loan because you, you're all of a sudden still mean. Um, you're still made to pay the 100% of your partner's income. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of environments where that's stopping you. Your, your partner may have lost his or her job. Um, you know, you may have gone from contracting from PAYG to self-employed IT contracting. Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of things which, which may stop, um, stop you from moving ahead with that person and you want to go by yourself. Okay. Does that have any relationship with who actually owns the property? Like, is is that um, is that type of loan applicable only if, let's say, my wife and I have jointly owned a property and have used both of our serviceability to buy that property and get a loan, or is it equally applicable if, you know, let's say, I own it but I've used both of our borrowing capacity? Could, could you just did you do you know what I mean? Yeah, there? that's a good question. Um, that's a bit grey, but yeah. to keep it simple. Um, Let's just say that your wife's um, credit score is bad now yep. or something that wasn't her fault or whatever. You could move forward and still buy an investment property provided the serviceability is okay because you remember we're buying positive cash flow properties, hopefully. <laughs> um, you can still move forward and not worry about your wife's low credit score. I see. I right? see. Yeah. So there's lots of permutations around this common debt reducer. Yeah. But ask your mortgage broker anyway and he or she... And is, is that a common thing, John, the, co the debt um, reducer um, type of loan or? No, it's like, not. I've never heard of this term before. Um, it's a new thing or has it always been around? It's, 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 it's been around um, probably for the last three or four years, but um, because people focus on interest rates. Yeah. Um, and now I want the cheapest interest rate and, and that, everyone does, but if behind that you want the cheapest interest rate is going to get you to that next investment property. Yeah, and so we're now starting to find lenders who 
um, who will help you with some strategies that they've come up with. So common debt reducer being one of them, which leads me to a couple of other strategies. All right. I could talk about this for hours. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. These last two or three points, these are actually like the game changers. So I'm, I'm personally really excited to hear these as well. So thank you, PK. Yeah. So common debt reducer loans is something to look at. Um, you know, the other one is I can't give advice around self-managed super funds, but talk to your financial planner or your accountant about using your super to try and get you that next property. Um, your accountant or financial planner will put our plan together and say, yep, yeah, let's, uh, let's get some of your super to go into property or into shares or to gold or whatever it may be. Okay. So everyone keeps forgetting, you know, um, they, there is this super there. All right. Um, so just quickly, you can go up to 80% of the value of the property. Um, interest rates will be higher at the time of recording around four and a half percent. So your self-managed super fund needs to put up 20% at least plus costs. But um, what an amazing way to, uh, to get another property and an incredibly tax efficient strategy uh, for you um, in retirement as well. So that's another one. 100%. Um, the other one too is I've got a lender who uh, really exciting. I couldn't believe it. Great story. The state manager of this lender uh, was very humble, came into my office with, uh, with her uh, business development manager talking about, you know, why I should send all my clients to them. And being a, a broker that focuses on investment property, I said, tell me investment property solutions. That's what my clients want to know about. Yeah. And so one of, I couldn't believe it, but they were saying if your portfolio is looking like it's positively geared, okay, and you're struggling, what they said to me was, we will still need to have a look at pay suits, but that becomes secondary. So if your portfolio of properties is generating, I don't know, $100,000 a year, okay, in income that's coming in and only $60,000 a year is going out, yeah. then they see you as a professional property investor. And so, so long as your portfolio is paying for itself, so long as you keep buying properties that are neutrally geared at least or positively geared ideally, mm -hmm. then whilst they will still ask for your PAYG um, pay slips and tax assessments and all that sort of stuff, that's secondary. <clears throat> okay. So there's this wonderful environment at the moment where if you've got a positive cash flow property portfolio and you're struggling, then this lender is wants to talk to you. Okay. Now the interest rate won't be that cheap. It's at, it'll be three and a half percent at the time of recording. Yeah. Okay. But as you become more sophisticated, you know, it's not about the rate. It's about getting the next acquisition that in 10 years time, sorry, three to five years time taught me is going to be 150 grand more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's just from the top of my head, mate. <laughs> no, I mean, but that that's phenomenal. I, I don't want that to just kind of you know, be kind of like a whimsical statement. I, I want everyone to connect with that. So, what you're saying, John, and I'm putting words in your mouth here for a second, is this one lender, maybe there's others, I don't know, at least for now, there's this one lender that if you buy a positive cash flow property and it's giving you net income, you know, net of all costs, you know, everything, maintenance, everything like that, um, they are willing to loan you more money to buy another positive cash flow property. Yes, interest rates are not going to be in the twos, they're going to be in the threes, which you can still buy positive cash flow of property right now, even despite that interest rate. And that way, you, it's almost like, I mean, I have not been investing for like 20, 30 years like you, but um, 
you know, 20 years ago, or even 10 years ago, to some degree, you know, you could buy positive cash flow property, and you could take that to the moon. That's why we have these books on zero to 200 properties in 10 years. And not that that's what you need to do. But, you know, those principles, which were kind of thought of as archaic, or, you know, that's like the good old days of property investing. Are you really telling us, John, that this lender is willing to bring those good days back? Yeah, I mean, they're always there, though. Um, but uh, they, they, their caveat, this particular lender, they're saying that it needs maximum LVR of 80%. So, you know, if you've done well because you've done PK's course and you're now, your LVR is now at 50%, hey, you know, it, it's there. It's, it's definitely there. Right. And it's funny because I fell off my chair when they told me this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I said it three times back to them. They went, yep. And I went, the next day I, I emailed them. I said, I want it in writing. Got to get that I, in writing. <laughs> I called them again like last week. <laughs> that, I mean, that's phenomenal, right? So like if, if, you, if someone has, let's say 80K, 80, 80K in the bank account, um, that is enough to buy a three, 350, maybe 400K property on an 80% LVR, 20% deposit, not only is the positive cash flow going to be higher because you put in 20% deposit, but because it's positive cash flow, that's going to allow you to get the next property and then you basically rinse and repeat. Now, of course, you need the growth. So you can't just buy in super regional areas where the data doesn't stack up because without the growth, you're not going to get the equity for the next one. But so long as you can have that equity, as so long as it's positive cash flow, you can build out a port, a large property portfolio and you don't need an income of what, $400,000, $300,000 people in there. You know, what would you say, this is kind of a loaded question, John, and I know there's shades of gray, but you know, if someone wants to build, let's say a $2 million portfolio, talking gross, um, yeah. what is the kind of household income that they need to, to achieve that? Uh, I know it's a difficult question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it obviously comes down to lifestyle uh, expenses of those of that person, but you'd be surprised the average person can do it. All right, I'm assuming the average person doesn't have the big showy car leases or, you know, the big credit card limits and things like that. But, you know, a teacher and a nurse, I mean, you know, two, I know two normal incomes, if that's the right word, $80,000 each, yeah. you'd be surprised. Yeah. And the problem is we all get fixated that we need to buy in Sydney for $1 million where the yield's 3%. Yeah. doesn't have to be the case. And unfortunately, we just get bombarded with general media um, that says you can't do it. It's, it's just that everyone starts off with, I've got to buy in the suburb I live in, which in Sydney or Melbourne and pockets of Brisbane now, it's not that cheap. <laughs> Yeah, um, but we can find those other suburbs, and uh, you know, I think everyone would would like to thank you, PK, for making uh, data accessible. Because I, I, you've done a wonderful job of making data accessible to um, the Australian community, the investor community, Matt. So, on behalf of everyone, I'd like to thank you, PK. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, my I mission's so always. Much. Thank you, thank you, John. I mean, my mission's always been the same. You know. Passive income is what we want. We don't need the, the Ferrari or anything like that. Although a couple of alphas. Nice. <laughs> What's that? A quadrifolio or two, uh, you know, definitely, definitely get you to sleep at night a little bit better. But, um, you know, we don't, we don't need that stuff. We just need passive income. We need freedom. And, and I just, I really just want to emphasize that 
point that you made. You don't need to be a surgeon. You don't need to be a neuroscientist. Um, you don't need to be an investment banker. You don't need to be anyone like that to be able to build a $2 million property portfolio. And guys, that's really all you need because if you build a $2 million property portfolio, it takes you two, three, four, five years to do that. You hold that bad boy for 10 years. That is your passive income for yeah. life, right? After yeah. 10 years, that is your income for life. Anyone can do it. You need to be disciplined. It's it's not for people who, you know, then want to go buy a brand new car off the dealership for eighty thousand dollars. Although that's probably what you and I have done, um, John. But um, yeah, but, but we've done it. We've we've sacrificed. We've done the hard yards, and we've gotten to that point. Um, and I'm not saying I'm anywhere near as you because I've done so many mistakes. I every mistake under the sun, you come to me, and I'll tell you I've done it. All right, I have listened to the wrong people my entire life, but still managed to do reasonably well, but that's that's the beauty of property, right? Um, when you get old like me, um, property can do wonders, but yeah. Um, but some amazing stories. I, I remember helping a single mother with two kids. We, we got her a positive cash flow property, $140,000. You know, it wasn't anything flash, but it started spinning off some cash yeah. um, and it's gone up to 190,000. So there's a bit of equity there now for her to continue her journey, so yeah. Yeah. And it's a throwaway statement, right? 140 to 190. But that $50,000 is like, it's probably like 150% return on investment cash on cash. That <laughs> one yeah. cash on cash, it's phenomenal return. You don't get that stuff. I don't know, even in Bitcoin or something like that. Not next yeah. But it, it's phenomenal. So I mean, PK, can I uh, something a little bit different? Bit of, um, maybe it's a, 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 a podcast, you can do another time. But we're all about cash flow. And I was wondering if in your days in banking, if you ever got exposed to renting shares out or writing covered calls as a strategy. Um, renting shares out. I mean, what we were involved in, not put me personally, but the company that I worked for was like a, uh, you could say an entrepreneur in, in this uh, JP Morgan It was credit default swap. So that was basically um, a derivative of a, of a derivative, like almost making a share instrument from mortgage loans. You, I'm sure you know about that. Uh, yeah, I've heard of him. I'm not, yeah, I'm not across it completely. Yeah. Anyway, but it, it's a little bit different from renting shares out. What, what do you mean by that exactly? Oh, I just, there are, there are ways where you can buy shares and um, do a covered call on them. Mm -hmm. uh, and the ASX in Australia has said that the best way to make money in the stock market is is to write what's called covered calls. Um, and I call it the renting share strategy. So you bought a, it's, a, it's like buying a house outright and you just rent it out. I see. And uh, anyway, I've deviated too much, but uh, <laughs> I just you might have been exposed to in the past. No, I mean, let's, let's continue the conversation, guys. I don't know all mortgage brokers in Australia, but having been an investor and being in the industry for more than 10 years, I know that there are lots of good mortgage brokers and, and lots of, you know, not so good mortgage brokers. John's definitely elite. He's top of the pack. And I think the best thing about John, you can see it in his eyes. You can see it in his countenance is that he's humble, right? Like, I don't care how much money you guys want to make. I don't care how many clients I'm going to say no to and have said no to before. I like to work with people who have humility because I genuinely think that's like the crest jewel um, virtue that, that human beings can possess. So um, I'm kind of bigging you up here, John, but like, it's been, this is actually the first time we've, we've spoken in this kind of format. So let's do many more of these. 
um and and let's really try to maximize people's borrowing capacity because that's you know lending strategy is as important as where to buy everyone on google youtube where do i buy what's the best you know boom suburb i'm guilty of that right clickbait but borrowing capacity maximizing borrowing capacity is as important john is there anything else that, that you wanted to say i'm so humbled by you pk someone who, um thank you mate but i've got lots of great ideas really great ideas um and I, I would say that anyone who's involved in property is almost as involved in the in the finance game because it probably just happens to be the conduit to getting you the cash and the capital growth but it's the finance at the end of the day that's going to um, help you get there or pull it out so um, there's lots of wonderful strategies that we haven't even started on but i'm, I'm just so grateful to you pk talk about humility oh my goodness um you, you are literally transforming people's lives because you're educating people and uh and that's and that's what you love to do and that's what i love to do and um yeah thank you mate i'm i i can't believe how much i've learned doing your course this is not plugging you i know but <laughs> anyone who's thinking about doing it should really do it because i said to pk off air you're too cheap no thank you for um for, for saying that I, I really appreciate it and I'm really looking forward to having you back as well. I hope we're trying to do this genuinely to bring value. When you give value to the world, the world gives you value back. All right. So, you know, that's how the world goes around. So hopefully this actually brought you some benefit. This is John um, Mancia Melli. You can Google him. My name's PK and catch you later, guys. Bye.